Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for checking out this podcast presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, U.S. Bank Stadium, or XL Energy Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota football, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Go get that first down and get a touchdown. Rock em. Welcome back to the Purple Podcast. We are back from the bye week. We are at Winter Park. We are previewing the Vikings trip out to Philadelphia to face the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday in what looked like it was going to be a showdown game, but now is uh, possibly just another uh, test for the Vikings on their way to to 19-0 and a Super Bowl championship. I'm Ben Gessling. I cover the Vikings for ESPN, joined by Matthew Collar from 1500 ESPN and 1500ESPN.com. We are back from a week hiatus. We were not necessarily planning to have a week hiatus, but we had some signals get crossed, and we are we're back. I guess we're in mid-season form now. It's week seven. We are we are officially in the middle part of the season, and we will act accordingly. We will be on top of our game today, won't we? Mm-hmm. Yes, and I will improve my game in the second half of reading and responding properly to emails about when <laughs> we're going to record. I wasn't throwing podcast, anybody under the so. bus. It was uh, <laughs> there were there were. Mistakes were made probably on on all accounts. But, hey, that wouldn't have been a very good episode anyway. And now we have whetted your appetite. You've been waiting for this edition of the Purple Podcast. And here it is, dear listeners. We are back to delight your ears with our latest offerings on the Minnesota Vikings. Yes, indeed. And the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, that's the thing. I think it's debatable whether this would be considered still a top NFC showdown or not. Yeah. Because of I the think we're getting tweaks. Aikman. I know Joe Buck because of baseball, but I, I, it looks like we're getting Troy Aikman on Sunday. So I guess Fox sees it as the best thing they have to offer on Sunday. And I think they probably still should. I mean, I think it's a really good question to ask, how good are the Eagles? Yeah. Are 
Did, are they in the conversation anymore after losing to Detroit and after losing to Washington to still be considered one of the best teams in the NFC? Because, I mean, well, those two losses do take the shine off this entire game. I mean, if it had been two undefeated teams, this would have been a big one. But, you know, the point differential, the Eagles are still the top team in the NFC by one point over the Minnesota Vikings yeah. in point differential. They are still one of the best defensive teams in terms of points allowed. And even though Carson Wentz hasn't been perfect in the last two weeks, in fact, you might say downright bad last week uh, against Washington, I mean, he still showed quite a bit in those first three weeks to think that uh, he is still a dangerous quarterback going against him, even though he's still a rookie. So I, I would say it isn't quite the buildup that maybe we were hoping for in terms of excitement, but Philadelphia still is one of those teams that's getting high rankings from your football outsiders, your pro football focus of the world, and I think it's worth looking at it like, yeah, the Vikings should be favored, but you know this one should also be considered a tough test for them. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I mean, I think... There are like three teams in the NFC right now that I look at and say, okay, that is a team capable of representing the NFC in the Super Bowl. And those three for me right now would be the Vikings, the Dallas Cowboys, and the Seattle Seahawks. And beyond that, it's like, okay, what what's up with the Packers? What's up with the Eagles? I might put Atlanta in the conversation. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, yes, based on the record right now. I just I don't trust Matt Ryan. I just I've never trusted Matt Ryan and I, I don't see any reason to do that unless he proves otherwise in the playoffs that one we'll we'll kind of put that one in its own category for now but yes there are enough teams in the nfc that are sort of like okay i I don't really know exactly what's going on here and and the eagles haven't played a terribly difficult schedule i mean three of the there are two of the three wins are against cleveland and chicago they did blow out pittsburgh 34 to 3 impressive win yeah that's an impressive win and you know washington i think is pretty good team so, I mean, losing to them on the road, probably not the end of the world. But, yeah, I mean, there are some things you wonder about with them. Speaking of that, somebody asked this question to me on Twitter, and I think it's a really good question. With the Vikings being 5-0, and and you talk about strength of schedule, yep. what we've seen happen to Carolina since that game and what we've seen happen to the Packers yeah. since that game. Okay, I see where you're headed. Sh- right? Should we wonder a little bit, like, is the 5-0 and indicative of being the top the strongest team or are there some schedule strength effects going on there because at that time it was very reasonable to say oh my gosh they just beat cam newton yeah but now a lot of people have beaten cam newton and the wow they just shut down aaron Rodgers, and aaron Rodgers has been now slowed down by quite a few teams i i personally wouldn't look at it as oh that means the vikings aren't that good but maybe it does take you down a little bit of a yeah, yeah. That's always the thing in the NFL, and that's why it makes it such a a sports talk radio friendly sport. Is that nothing is ever really perfectly quantifiable. There's always sort of this. Well, we think this is the reason for this happening, but it might also be this other thing. And I mean, like even the, the even the Texans, you sit there and say, okay, they're four and two, but in their two losses, they faced the Vikings and the Patriots, and they've gotten undressed by both of those teams. So. How good are they really? I mean, you play that game a lot, and I think it's a it's a fair game to play because so much of it in the NFL is when you play teams, when you catch who's on the way up, who's on the way down. I mean, the perfect example of that, really, two of the last three years the Vikings have had a game like that. Last year, they play Kansas City. It looks like Kansas City is you know, a tomato can, basically, um, after losing Jamal Charles, and, and they 
their season looked like it was falling apart. And then you look at the end of the season, like they won like ten games in a row yeah, or something. Right? That was or one the of their better. Yeah. yeah, that was one of the better wins they had. And then two years before that, in 2013, they come back from the bye week. They they win in London. They're playing a Carolina team that was awful, and they get blown out at home. And it's like, okay, this coaching staff is going to get fired. This is headed towards the cellar. And then Carolina goes on this run mm-hmm. and ends up making the playoffs that year. I think they were the number two seed in the NFC. So it's like, okay, well, that really wasn't as bad of a loss as it looked at the time. And, yeah, there's there's all this stuff in the NFL where there'll probably be some game towards the end of the season. Maybe the Packers get it together, and, and you sit there in December and say that win was impressive or, or Carolina writes the ship. I mean, to what degree they can do that from one and five, it's hard to know. But, you know, that is a team that went to the Super Bowl last year. I think they're certainly better than what they've shown. But – yeah, I mean, some of those wins may look different in the final accounting than they do right now. But, yeah, I, in the case of Philadelphia, it is one of those where you don't quite know how good they are. I mean, they, they have a rookie quarterback. They have a new coach. You know, the defense has played really well so far, but you know, a lot of, a lot of new things there, a new scheme. I mean, there's a lot of things to, to sit there and, and not really know what to think of them, and that's why it makes an interesting matchup on Sunday, I think. And their two of their first three wins were against – what did you call Kansas City? A tomato can? A tomato can. Well, the, the old, like, uh, <laughs> the boxing, like, the, the foe you face when you just want to get a win. Uh, yeah. And, like, you need a guy you can knock out in, like, two minutes. I don't want to have to train that hard for this fight. That, I think that's the typical term is tomato can. Well, that's the Browns, right? And yeah. That, and that was yeah. one of their wins. I mean, that was Carson Wentz's first game, and he beats up on the Browns. Yep. And then he beats the Browns, the, who did not like him, apparently. The uh, oh, Right. They were the only yes. team to send all of their top people to his pro day in Fargo because there was a bad snowstorm in Minnesota and in Chicago so nobody could get there. The Browns got up there, watched him. I thought he had a great workout. I was up there for it, and they decided not to take him. They did not agree. And, and well, who, I can see that. Like, who, what who's worried about the quarterback situation in Cleveland? It seems like everything's <laughs> fine. Right. I mean, that's never been a problem. No, um, never. I could see what they were thinking, though, with Carson Wentz. That, you know, when I watch him, and I went back and watched the last two games on tape, there are some limitations, I think, to his game at this moment. We'll see if he develops. I mean, he's got a long career, I'm sure, ahead of him. But, I mean, there are some things where you definitely have to wonder if he's going to be that downfield thrower, if he's going to yeah. see the entire field. I mean, that's what you know these guys talk about all the time is can this quarterback go through progressions, yep. go through reads. And looking at his offense right now, I think it's very much like a one read or just get rid of it or run or something like that. And a lot of them are screen passes and things like that where it's really safe. It reminds yes. me a lot of Alex Smith where right. his limitations are mitigated by the fact that it's get the ball and get it to that guy yep. pretty much as quick as possible. And if you throw it accurately, you've got a pretty good chance to get five, seven yards. Then every once in a while, hit a ball down the field. That seems to be what it is. And if you're the Browns, maybe you think, you know, we're going to get the number one pick next year. Almost no question. Unless (laughs) RG3 turns into some monster, which, again, he didn't. Hello, Deshaun Watson. Right, Deshaun Watson or whoever else you think might be that number one overall guy. So I I could see why they would pass on him, which kind of leads me to this week with Wentz in his last two weeks. I think he was exposed a little bit by Washington, especially when there was any pressure coming his way. Yeah, he was messy. Yeah, uh, for most of that game. I mean, once Washington is quite a bit up and has it in hand, he picks up some yards. But for the most part of that game, when he didn't have a good running game and when they were mixing things up and when they were pressuring him, especially off the right tackle position, he struggled quite a bit. He didn't look like the same quarterback of the first couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, Lane Johnson being out and then. 
uh, the the guy who replaced him, whose name has like twenty seven letters in it. Uh, did That's why I said well. the right tackle position. Right, yeah. I wanted to let you try that. No, I'm not gonna. I was looking at it earlier this week. It's like I hope I don't have to say that on the radio. So but I'm it's not, not going to Lane attempt Johnson. It here. No, it's not Lane Johnson. It's uh, uh I can't even. I will look it up. It our our depth chart should have it up today on ESPN.com. But he got eaten alive by Ryan. Yes, Garrett. he did. Yes, he did. And uh, and that that to me is one of those things with this game where you look at not only Brian Robinson, who's had a nice year. Uh, certainly a, a better start than I thought he would have. And then you, you have Daniil Hunter on that side. That is going to be a lot for the Eagles to handle, not to mention all the other, lick, the, the other looks the Vikings can throw at what they're going to do. So, I mean, I, yeah, it is going to be an interesting matchup. I think it is going to be one that tests him a little bit because he probably hasn't seen anything this complex and isn't used to getting pressured <laughs> this much. I mean, even if they do what they can to cover up that hole, yeah. knowing that Daniil Hunter and, and Brian Robinson are both uh, chase the passers around pretty well this yep. year, I mean, that's going to open up Tom Johnson for one-on-one matchups with guards. That's going to open up for blitzers on that yep. same side. I mean, you could see that happening, right? Oh, like, yeah, like, where you have, like, two guys in the A-gap, and then you, you attract blockers looking that way, and those mm-hmm. guys drop out, and um, off Harrison Smith comes off the edge. And then all of a sudden you got two guys coming off the right side in his face. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Mike Zimmer will have a few things dialed up for that. And I noticed there was a, a clean shot at Wentz. Washington did that where they overloaded blitz on that right yep. side. Yep. And it, it was clear that there was some sort of miscommunication and who was supposed to block and who wasn't, and it was just a free man coming right at him. So that could be a thing. And you mentioned Harrison Smith. I also think that the two linebackers for the Vikings are so good in coverage. Yep. That that sort of idea of just hey we're going to throw these short passes all the time you know that doesn't work against these guys no because ask we, Lamar Miller how that goes yeah that right you're referencing the Eric Hendricks play right yes. where he well, chased him down and knocked the ball away yeah I mean Kendricks has shown that he can line up that he can get right close to the line and show blitz and then jump out of that yeah. and still get outside and read those plays. I mean, that's like his speed and athleticism there is going to make it very difficult for Wentz to just Here's rely, Aaron Sproles. On, the, right, rely yeah. on the screens. Well, in Barr, too. I mean, I think you know, in the last couple of years, Barr has had some plays where he's turned into a screen killer. I mean, he's a guy that it took him a little bit. I mean, his first year, you saw a lot of teams do that, try to throw screens at him, passes in the flat, basically try to get him one-on-one with a running back because – he might take the wrong angle or he might miss in, in open space. I mean, they were exploiting the fact that he was new at the position, that he was a rookie in the NFL. You can't really do that anymore. I mean, he knows where he's supposed to be. He's got that size and that, that speed. It it makes it really, really difficult. And that's why, I mean, we're looking down the road with this, and they won't have a first-round pick unless they make a trade for one. But if, to me, if you get one more linebacker for that group, either a middle that can run a little bit or – a guy that is big enough to play in the middle that you move Eric Kendricks out to the weak side, look out. I mean, that you know the, the group is, is as good as it is already. If you add one more linebacker to it, it's, it's going to be really, really tough, tough to deal with. Yeah, I wonder about that because just looking around the league now, I, I mean, a lot of people are playing the base defense as the nickel. Yes. You know, and I was looking. Yeah, at, you don't have to do it, but it's yeah. a nice addition if oh, you it can certainly, get it. It certainly would be, especially yeah. on first down. If you have three yeah. linebackers who can cover, then you can really shut down run and games. And you can stay in base if you have to. Yeah, exactly. You see but, Seattle do that a lot. 
Captain Munderland's played 75% of the snaps, and he's a nickel corner, which was I, I, that stuck out to me. Yeah. When, I, when I looked at, at the snap counts at the bye week, I was like, wow. I mean, they've been, that means pretty much they're using those nickel sets three out of every four plays. He is watching that stat as closely as you are, too, <laughs> by the way, because I think there's something in his contract. I, I, I can't, I, he asked, I think, after the he – was, he was kind of joking around about that, like, what was my snap count after the last game? And it's like, you have something in your contract, don't you? <laughs> I, I've, I've looked at it. I can't remember exactly what it was. But, uh, yeah, there, I think there is something in there that would uh, pay him a little bit of extra change at the end of the season if he is being used as much as he is right now. Another uh, – which is this, similar with your podcast contract, actually. Um, yes. Yeah, if I – the more I talk, the more I get paid. <laughs> we have to count the words. So we have an intern for you that. You know – this is totally random. This is the sort of thing that if Derek Wetmore were here, the kind of high-minded, uh, nerdy suburban kid crap we usually get into. Um, the book Great Expectations that Charles Dickens wrote, and I just remember this because I had to read it in high school. He It originally started as like a magazine serial, and he got paid per word. And I remember reading that book. and like, that's why this is so drawn out and <laughs> long and boring. I mean, I was on ninth grade, or maybe I probably was a better book than I remember at the time, but it was like, oh, yeah, okay. I mean, good business strategy, but, dude, you know, you could have tightened it up a little. Yeah, we all know about that with college papers, too. Yes. Like, you know, maybe you should just judge on the work and yep. not on having to get to seven pages. Yeah, double-spaced. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah, if you play with the margins. Oh, yeah, I was going to say there's a margin trick that's in there somewhere yep. that I'm sure every professor knows you're doing but doesn't care. Yep. Um, one other thing about the uh, how the Philadelphia offense matches up against the Vikings. Now that we're going to talk about college papers and books yeah. we didn't like. Is uh, Dickens once said about Linval Joseph? He Ooh, said, nice segue. He said, "Quote that man is a beast." <laughs> and and well. I, I think one of the keys for Washington, uh, and Dickens thought this too, was, was that they, they gave up nothing in the running game. Now, I, I looked at the final stats versus what Very I watched Ebenezer in the Scrooge like. It was like... Uh, oh, Dickens' character. Yes. We'll, we're going to stop now. No it, more Dickens. It was, um, please, some more running game. Yes. Uh, okay, one more Dickens. And that, that is the only Dickens that I can quote after that. But... Uh, Wentz was dead to begin with. Through about the third quarter, they had like 30 yards rushing. Yeah. Philadelphia yeah. did. And if they don't have that running game and opponents can focus entirely on shutting down Carson Wentz, this is where Linval Joseph, I think, is so important in this yeah. matchup, yep. is if he can stuff them. Because they'll bring in tight end sets and they'll bring in a fullback and things like that. And Washington gave up nothing there. If, it, if that's the same case for the Vikings, then I see Carson Wentz having a really tough day. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I think this is going to be one of those matchups where, I mean, everybody was concerned about, okay, making the, the leap from FCS to the NFL, and this is going to be one of those where you look at it and say, what is your frame of reference for, for dealing with a defense like this? And it's going to be interesting to see how he responds because I'm guessing he has not seen anything this fast, this flexible, this aggressive that he's had to deal with before and, and you're you're right I mean they they have made a lot of adjustments to make things simpler for him I'm not unlike what the Vikings have done with Sam Bradford I mean you see a lot of times where he's looking to his first read and there's quick plays designed to get the ball out and not have to survey the entire defense as he gets up to speed with things but uh you know the difference with Sam Bradford is you have a veteran quarterback Carson Wentz, you have a guy that, that hasn't probably seen anything quite like this yet. And I wonder about, and I know the numbers, I looked at them uh, the other day on Wentz, where his deep ball 
has been pretty successful. Yep. I do wonder about, I mean, some of the stats, like how do I grade it on such a small sample? Because when I was looking at him for intermediate throws, he was something like 17 for 26 this year on intermediate throws, which is pretty good. But, excuse me, you would go back to, uh, what you know, you're playing the Browns, you're playing Chicago, and then when you're facing off with uh, the Washington, it was a little different story. Like those intermediate passes, he couldn't get them off because there was pressure and things like that. And I'm not so sure that I believe in his ability to go through those progressions and make the accurate throws down the field. I think that's what they're going to try and force him to do. It's going to be a lot of rushing him with four men and this team is good enough to get that pressure and then i dare you to do anything except for throw a screen pretty much yeah yeah i think that is going to be the thing is that you are going to have to i mean they're they're going to have a hard time doing anything more than than throwing short and in that case that's back to those linebackers that we're talking about it, it is very difficult to get any of that going against them right now because of how well those linebackers are playing and I, yeah, I, I'm going to be very curious to see. I mean, because you assume at some point somebody's going to beat them, but they don't beat themselves right now. And in a game where they turn the ball over a couple times, there's a tip pass here and there. It could be what does it. But it, it's hard to look at a lot of matchups right now and say, okay, if everything goes according to plan, this team is going to beat them. The, the only one I, I really look at that on the schedule right now and say, yeah, that could happen just straight up. Is probably Dallas, yeah, and that's not until that's the Thursday after Thanksgiving. I mean, there, there's quite a quite a few matchups. You sit there and say, well, if it, if they don't beat themselves, they should be fine. Do you like basketball? Do you like the Minnesota Timberwolves? Do you like nachos? I like nachos. I'm Steve McPherson, and if you like those things especially nachos, you should check out the Raised by Wolves podcast. You can find us on iTunes, where you can subscribe to us, or on the 1500ESPN.com website. I am curious about the Detroit Lions, if we're asking the question, I mean, which team will beat them? Yeah, that that Thanksgiving game. I I pulled up a a hot number um, in the last 14 games for Matt Stafford. That would be after they fired the offensive coordinator. Uh, yes, they put in Jim Bob Cooter. Yes. Matt Stafford has 33 touchdowns and six picks since then. Wow. So the, since the start of the Cooter era, uh, <laughs> I just wanted to say Cooter yeah, again. I figured that's the reason you wanted to say that. Yeah, but, just but a, I mean, that, that would great be great NFL name. That would be another uh, name to watch because I think we started to write off Matt Stafford a little bit yep. as a very mediocre quarterback. And in his last 14 games, which I'm not a big fan of arbitrarily in his last whatever, but it's pretty clear since they changed offensive coordinators that and I don't know if that's the exact if it was exactly 14 games, but um, he's been really, really good basically yeah. since uh, Mr. Cooter took over. Uh, so, Cooter. so I am I'm watching that. It's like Mr. Uh, Cotter. But when it comes to uh, the Vikings' offense on their side, there really is only one concern, and it just keeps being the thing that gets brought up because they're five and zero, oh, and yep. the quarterback has played. We so got to well. talk about something. But that offensive line yep. against Houston, yes, you don't often win 31-13 to 13 when your offensive line performs like that. No, you do not. And that is going to be the thing to watch on Sunday because this is a team in the Eagles that has done a fairly good job of creating pressure without blitzing a whole lot. I mean, they have done a nice job of getting after quarterbacks. 
they I think they only blitz like I, our numbers I think have it at like fifteen percent of the time. I mean, which is is one of the lower ones in the NFL, but. They've created pressure. I think they're in the top ten in terms of the number of, of dropbacks that they have pressured the quarterback. So, I mean, Jim Schwartz's defenses, the Vikings know what those look like. They've seen them over the years in Detroit, and, and it's a similar concept to what they're doing in Philadelphia. But they are going to have to deal with some of that, and it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, they, they plan to go into this game, Mike Zimmer said today, with T.J. Clemmings and Jeremiah Searles as the tackles. But I'm going to be very curious to see if Clemmings starts off Having a difficult day, how quickly do they make that change? I'm going to be curious to see how long he gets. Yes, I just made a terrible pun. You know what? I'm okay with that. that, that that's all right. It was really bad. But it was really okay. bad. That's, but it, that is you know. okay. Jake Long, will he get into this week's game would be a nice little Vegas bet, right? It, yeah, it would be a good little Vegas prop. Not, not only did TJ Clemmings have one of the worst games I can remember as a tackle. Prop bets on week seven games in the NFL, you might have a gambling problem. I, I'm not. Yeah, I agree. Well, I'm not saying I'm not asking you what the worst game from a left tackle you've ever seen is, but that's got to be about as bad as it gets. The one I remember <laughs> as you say that uh, is probably like Marshall Newhouse, like one of those games in 2009 against Jared Allen when Jared Allen had like seven sacks against the Packers in both of those far revenge games. I think it, there was one of those where I, I feel like they had a couple, like their left tackle was hurt in both games and they had to switch things up. I, I feel like there was one of those where Jared Allen just abused the guy. That That's the one that's, that comes to mind Im- immediately, I guess. And it wasn't only in the passing game with T.J. Clemmings. I think no, he was, was even not. worse in the running yep. game than he was in the passing game. Yep. And it was kind of funny to hear Mike Zimmer say, I mean, most of the time he's pretty good, except for the times where he does like things. Five things, things where he's just crazy, I think was the yes. five plays that are just five crazy. Play, and when I look back, yeah, it was five plays that made no sense for why you're lunging at Whitney yes. Merciless. But it was also just getting demolished by Jadavion yeah. Clowney in the running game yep. where Jarek McKinnon would get the ball and he would be down uh, as soon as he got it. So that's it. that is a huge problem, too. If Jake Long, if they watch him in practice in a belief that he could even be a tick below average, NFL average, mm-hmm. they don't need old Jake Long that's a right. monster. Right. They just need a little below average as opposed to, oh, my gosh, you can't play. Yeah, because the, the one thing you cannot have happen, maybe not the one thing, but very high on the list, is Sam Bradford getting hurt. I mean, if that happens pump the brakes on all the the talk about going to Houston. I mean, that's uh that I mean, Sean Hill could get you through a few games, I think, but you're not going to be looking at the same ceiling on this season if that happens. So, I to me, if you get to a point where you say we're not sure we trust what we have on the left side, you got to pull the cord on that, I would think sooner than later. Some good news though. Brandon Fusco back at practice. Yep. And the interior three linemen are good to go. And I actually think that they have, outside of maybe the first game, that they've recovered pretty well and yep. been probably about average. I think Joe Berger has been good. Yeah. And Boone has sort of recovered from yeah. a really bad start. Bad couple of weeks, and then he's been a lot better. And Fusco has also done that as well. And this yeah. week, Benny Logan will not be playing for the Philadelphia Eagles. He is their defensive tackle. He's their big beast in the middle. Yep. And this team, the Eagles, already giving up about 4.7 yards per carry, one of the worst in the league on the run. This, to me, is an opportunity for the Vikings running game to finally have that breakout game for Jarek McKinnon slash Matt Asiata to a lesser extent. Yeah, Yeah, I think that is possible. And and the fact that they were able to 
run the ball against the Giants in a game that everybody thought they're going to have a hard time with those two nose tackles or those two defensive tackles they have in the middle, that was encouraging. And that a lot of that that night was a credit to the middle of that line. Alex Boone had a really good night. Joe Berger played well. I mean, the, the fact that you have Brandon Fusco back healthy now should help. I, I think the right side of that line, I think Jeremiah Searles as a run blocker is is a solid right tackle. And if you're able to run the ball effectively, that that's certainly going to help a lot. It's going to create situations probably where you don't get behind schedule where you're not having to, to throw on third and long as much or at least throw downfield as much. And that should make things a little bit easier for Sam Bradford. And the more you can... I mean, this team is built to play with a lead. The, the sooner you can get a lead and let those pass rushers go after Carson Wentz, the better. And I think if they can run the ball, that's that's going to be a big factor in doing that. And you really only need to run it just enough yep. for those packaged plays that they have to be effective. Yep. Uh, watching Houston, there was a play to Cordero Patterson, screen pass. Yep. He got about eight yards. Yep. And when I went back and looked at it. It clearly, was like a read option play, except Sam Bradford doesn't run. Right. Right. Clearly, it looked like everyone was blocking for a run. Right. And uh, McKinnon started headed that way. Yep. And then he just throws that short screen pass to Cordero Patterson. But if you're going to sell those, I mean, you got to have some threat of yes. the run. And yes. so far outside of that Giants game, I mean, there were a few successful runs here or there. Yeah. Uh, sprinkled throughout the Carolina game, sprinkled throughout uh, the Houston game, but way too many blown up, way too many negative plays. And, like, you need just enough of that for teams, when they see that on tape, to go, well, that play could also be a run and go the other way, and we need to worry about McKinnon. Plus, I've been waiting for the big play or the big gain from McKinnon. I mean, he yeah. hasn't had one of those, like, 60-yard runs or yep. something, which he definitely is capable of. Yeah, he is. You mentioned the package plays. We saw a little bit of that in 2014 when they were sort of running what I perceived to be the offense that they would run with Teddy Bridgewater if not for other factors that uh, are currently hurt. You can say it. Rehab, rehabbing from a tournament. Adrian Peterson. Peterson. Uh-huh. Uh, that is what I perceived to be the offense they would they would run if not for trying to go mix in the things that work well for Adrian Peterson. So I'm curious how much of this is that and how much of it is Pat Shermer's influence bringing in some things from Philadelphia and bringing in some things that work well for Sam Bradford. We're not really probably ever going to get a complete answer to that question, but it is an interesting part of the equation here. The uh, Pat Shermer influence, if nothing else, I mean, what what you find, and I really enjoyed, I I probably brought it up before, but reading Chris Brown's Smart Football, Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes we watch these coaches on Sunday decide to punt at the other team's 38. Right. And we just go, are these guys paying attention to the world at all? Yeah. And one thing you find, though, is that they're always studying each other mm-hmm. and, if, and, and picking and choosing little pieces. And yes. having an opportunity for Pat Shermer to not only the offenses that he's run in the past, but also to work with Chip Kelly. Mm-hmm. There are things in those Chip Kelly offenses that everyone has started to borrow from yes. around the league where... Yes. And it's one of the reasons why the Chip Kelly offense really worked in year one and then not so much in year two and then struggled in year three because everyone started to study it and figure it out and you have to always be changing. And so I feel like you're seeing some small elements of all of these things, Shermer's career and some of the things he may have picked up from Chip Kelly and getting the most out of Sam Bradford because, I mean, if you look at that end of the season, Bradford even mentioned it himself, his last seven games or so, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL last year. So coming here and saying, this is what works for this guy. 
I, I mean, we saw it in Philadelphia, and here it is here, and he has the key to him, I think, because it is short and quick passes, is yep. just enough deep ball, just enough intermediate to keep everybody honest. That if you start cheating at all on those short passes, Bradford is going to burn you with a deep ball. And I think he's shown that in these first couple of weeks. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's a smart move. And some of it maybe is necessity that they couldn't say, well, we have time to kind of work him into the things that we like to do. And some of it is just, hey, we got to go to what works for this guy. And and it seems to be working to their benefit right now. Um, you know, I, I think that all of that has, has fit in very nicely to what they want to do on offense and and to me that's the offense that you go forward with whether or not you get Adrian Peterson back it's got to be okay if you're back you have to coexist in this universe now it's not going to go back to what it was and it doesn't make sense to return to what it's been in the past I I think you know we'll we'll get to that point if we get there and I, I think he is certainly trying to push to be back as soon as he possibly can you know I've I had somebody tell me that he's hoping to get back for I, I think it was like the Cowboys game oh wow which it seems really soon and I'm not even sure the person that told me that believes that that will happen but is that when they could bring him off the the earliest reserves? they could do it is like November 20th against Arizona oh okay but I think in his mind it's okay well that's a realistic timetable I mean and, and some of it is I'm sure for him that's a, a date to put on the calendar because he's a, a guy that grew up as a Cowboys fan and, and probably wants to be back for that game. But I, whether that happens or not, we'll see. But if it does, I think they're going to be at a point where they have to say, okay, this offense that we're running now is what works and this is what we're going to go forward with. Let's say they go to Adrian Peterson and say, look, you and Jarek McKinnon are going to pretty much split and Matt Asiata. I'd love to be a fly on the wall for that conversation. <laughs> right? Okay, so all three of you are still going to play. Yep. McKinnon is going to take a lot of the carries, and Asiata is going to be on third downs where he can sneak out for screen passes. We've seen it a couple weeks in a row where he's had big plays sneaking out of the backfield uh, or just a big first down on a third down or something like that. You're going to play 20 plays a game about as not so not necessarily a decoy, but maybe in the red zone or you know obvious running situations or things like that. And we really want you to just not complain about that because we're doing really well this season yeah. and Sam Bradford is amazing. And just can you please just be a part of our offense the way we ask you? Would that work? Because that's what we're working. That's what we're coming toward. Boy, I mean, if he feels yeah. like he's going to be back at some point, even in December, we are like on a collision course for a showdown between this offense is really good without you and you have to fit in somehow and not be the star. Yeah, I that will be a fascinating problem for them to solve. Maybe well, a challenge. We could, we could call it that too. I mean, I'm sure that's what they would say. And they are going to say, well, if you have a chance to add a healthy Adrian Peterson back, that you're is going to do say. that. Yeah. But to me, it's how you do it, and I think we should probably wait until we've seen probably a little more than four games from Sam Bradford before we say, you know, as I sit here and say that this is the offense I have to go forward with. I think it is. I'll say that with the caveat of a lot can change in the next six, seven weeks here, but uh, that, yeah, that is going to be a fascinating discussion that they have to have. If in fact they get to that point, we'll see if they do. We'll see if he can get back that soon. I'm skeptical that that, is possible but I also think that as hard as he's going to try to get back and as fast as he's healed from things in the past and as far as they could play into the playoffs 
you're going to have – I mean, there is a chance that, that he's going to be back at some point before they're done playing the season. What I wonder about this with Peterson from his own ego standpoint is he's got a ton of accomplishments in his career. Yep. I mean, he has one of the best rushing seasons in NFL history, if not the best. I mean, yep. he's way up there with Barry Sanders, O.J. Simpson. He put his name – above everybody else with that season yes and he is a waltz into the hall of fame one of the nfl's best ever the one thing that's missing on the resume is winning yeah i mean he's only played a couple of playoff games he's got hasn't played well in those playoff games hasn't played well key fumbles in a couple of those playoff yep. games and if it means solidifying that legacy not only as the great running back but also as having a win here's here's what i'm thinking I'm thinking about Jerome Bettis for this situation. Right, right. Like that Super Bowl in 05. Take a back seat to yeah. Willie Parker. He's the guy now. Just do your job. Can can you do that? It's <laughs> I know. I think it's a tough sell. I know. I think it's a tough sell. Yeah. That to me is the only chance it can work. And if it can't work, I feel like you have to leave him on IR. Yeah, I mean, it, boy, that is going to be really, really fascinating to see how that goes because I know he's going to be pushed to get back. Mm -hmm. and I know they're going to have to deal with what works best for the team, obviously, but he is a guy that, that doesn't think that he's at a point where he needs to take a back seat because he still feels like he's got four or five good years left. And, and if he's healthy and he's playing behind a good offensive line, that may well be true, but... I also think that if they're winning without you and they're showing that there's another way to do it, you can't then just come back and say, okay, now we got to go back to the way everything was. And I mean, to his credit, he has been more, he's talked about being more receptive to playing in the shotgun. I still don't think that there's a lot. I, I still think there are a lot of things with that that don't necessarily mesh with his style but he does seem a little more open to it, at least philosophically, and, and maybe that, that all works out, and, and maybe it's in a, a specialized role when you're in obvious running situations. We'll have to see. But, uh, yeah, I mean, man, if, if that happens in a, in a season that's already had uh, an inordinate number of twists for five games, uh, that one would certainly be a big one. I think playing out of the shotgun is the key to Bradford, yeah. though. Yes, I agree with you. I mean, Especially with this line. Right. With this line, protecting him, allowing him to see the whole field and yes. never having to turn his back yep. to play fake or Completely anything agree. else, to just take the ball and be in a good situation to get rid of it. I mean, it's kind of like with Eli Manning, right? Yep. Like going into that full-time shotgun offense has been a huge thing for Eli Manning turning around his career. At one point, Manning is throwing more interceptions than touchdowns, and yeah. now he's back to putting up stats that put him at the top of the league, and I think it's been a big deal for Bradford as well. I don't want to change that. I need right. it to be that way to have an effective offense here. And, you know, we talked about Cordero Patterson and spreading the field and using him. Like, I would rather see those four wide receiver sets or trips. You know, they were using Patterson and with three wide receivers on one yeah. side. You can show so many more looks yeah. if you're not worried about your running back all the time. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that there are still probably more things that they can do as, as Bradford grows into the offense and gets more comfortable. We have it's, it, You mentioned four receivers. I mean, they, and they do more of this now with, with Rudolph split out to one side too. But they have never run 
Actually, there might have been two snaps in 2014. I think those are the only two they have ever put a four-receiver set on the field with Norv Turner. That's a very wonky football stat that I looked up once that Hmm. probably like three people care about. But it is kind of an interesting thing. And, and, you know, the spread sets with Bradford, and you wonder if that – eventually changes it's yeah no that's a good point about rudolph lining up as the other guy I mean, yeah the basically against the giants was yeah even it was basically a stick route and i think and i the, mean it was kind of classic stick play with three receivers and him on the one side and there have been quite a few times against the texans too where they would line up three guys on one side yep. and and only him yep. i never thought about that i mean i i kind of in my mind look at that and say that's a four wide receiver yep. set they're kind but, of treating it that way but the personnel is three receivers and a tight end right because Rudolph especially this year has shown that he can be a good a really good pass catching option yeah it, he's turned I, into the guy that they it's it's funny because they they signed him to that contract and they thought okay he's gonna be the next great Norv Turner tight end he's he's putting up the numbers of that but not quite in the way that you would have expected in the the classic Norv Turner offense I guess and that I mean give credit to them for figuring out a way to use him and give credit to him for adapting but uh yeah that's yeah, kind of a, a roundabout way of getting to the point where they thought he was going to be when they gave him that contract. I think Rudolph speaks, his success here speaks to the overall philosophy, which also sort of challenges using Adrian Peterson the yeah. way he wants to be used, which is that from defense to offense, they've maximized everybody's skill set and right. found a way to do it. They have. It's You know what I mean? It's, it's like putting together a puzzle mm-hmm. in a way, and you've got, all right, this guy, you know, Rudolph is not a tremendous blocker, but yep. he's a pretty darn good pass catcher, so slide him into that spot. Cordero Patterson can't run routes very well, but he sure can make plays in space. So they're using, okay, he's the screen guy, and McKinnon can, and Asiata, the backfield. Like You've got this, like, if you wrote down their skill sets and then – click them all together it's working exactly how you would think it would work and that's why if you throw peterson in it's like throwing a bomb in there and blowing it up so i know that's not pertinent exactly to this week but that conversation is coming yeah and i I think the the thing that i am the most impressed with this coaching staff about is typically that they do a really good job of saying what can this guy do well even if it's only like one thing and how can we work that into our overall sort of stew that we're concocting here of how to use all these guys. And and they've done that with Cordero Patterson. Now they've done it with guys like Kyle Rudolph. They do that defensively, I think pretty well with, with all the different pieces they have. And, and Mike Zimmer's willingness to encourage that kind of a adaptation, I, I think is a really is, is a credit to him and a credit to this coaching staff for kind of taking his lead there. So if we get to this point, with Peterson, how that works is, is going to be certainly interesting to watch. Uh, as we close this edition up, we will make predictions for Sunday's game, as we always do. But first, uh, for those of you who were still wondering about this, and there's probably like two people that are. Is this about Dickens? Uh, no, it's about Captain Munnerlyn's contract. Oh, okay. Uh, there's probably only like two more people that are wondering about Captain Munnerlyn's contract than they, they are wondering about Charles Dickens. But if those people are out there and they were <laughs> still wondering about Captain Munnerlyn's contract, if he plays 75% or more of the Vikings' total defensive plays, he gets an extra $100,000 this season. Whoa. So he is right on the line of that. He had a thing in his contract where if he had played, I think it was 70% or more the first two years of the deal and then hit 75 this year, he would get an extra million. He was like 66% last year. So he's not up for that, but there's there's an extra 100000 on the line for the slot cornerback if his playing time stays at or above where it is now. So for those of you who are wondering about uh, what to get the man who has everything for Christmas, 
Uh, a few more snaps late in the season may be <laughs> exactly what Santa Claus has coming for the captain. With that, picks for this week. Matthew, who do you think wins, and what do you think the score is? I do think the Vikings win um, because of Carson Wentz's inexperience, and I think he's got a really tough day ahead of him. Yeah. I think we're talking something like 21-13. Yeah. And one thing to be mentioned about the Vikings and their offensive stats you always have to look at their efficiency as, as opposed to their totals. I had somebody tweet me about this. That Well, he doesn't have that many total yards or yards per game. I mean, They are one of the slowest-moving offenses in the league. Yes. They have really protected the football these last couple of weeks. I mean, they've had 35-plus minutes of time of possession. Yep. And that's exactly what Washington did last week. They ran a lot, and they protected the ball a lot. They crushed the Eagles in time of possession. I could see that happening. So not a high-scoring game in particular, but I think the Eagles come out – or, uh, sorry, the Vikings come out with a win. Yeah, I agree with you. I uh, I think I I had to make a pick earlier this week already. I, I think I picked the Vikings 24-13. to 13. It seems like we're always really close in these scores. But, yes, I agree with you for a lot of the same reasons. I think the Vikings run the ball effectively – Washington ran for 230 yards against the Eagles. I think the Vikings will at least be able to create an effective running game that allows them to control the clock. And then when Carson Wentz is on the field, I do think it's going to be a tough day for him. I think they're going to be able to do some things to get after him. I think he's going to get hit like he did against the Redskins. And ultimately, I think the Vikings come out of this one 6-0. I've got them, I think, 24-13. to If that, I think that's what I said earlier in the week. If it's not, that's what I'm going with now, 24-13 Vikings. Eagles do score on 51% of their possessions. Uh, yeah, I mean... That's just a statistic. How many possessions will I they have, read. I guess, is yes. the question. <laughs> and how many of them will turn into uh, truncated possessions with turnovers? Yeah. There there could be a couple of those as well. So I wanted to throw in a few field goals there in the 13 pick. Yes, so, yes. Like the scoring percentage, it's one of the... You said wonky. Like, that's a wonky stat. Yeah. Like, oh, this scored. has been a pretty wonky like, podcast Yeah, it today. really has. We've done a lot of, like, film analysis kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We've talked about Captain Munnerlin's contract. We've talked about uh, little-used personnel sets, number of Eagles scoring possessions. Uh, we've gotten into classic literature and what we did or did not like about it and <laughs> uh, double-spacing college essays. We will wrap up this version of our own college essay with uh, a, a reminder to to check us out on Podcast One. Check us out on iTunes. Uh, certainly, if you want to leave a review there, if you like the podcast, even if you don't like the podcast, reviews help people find us. So uh, check us out there. Subscribe to us. Leave a review. We'll be back with another edition on Sunday. I will be at, what is it, Lincoln Financial Field now, is that what uh-huh. it's called? I will be there Sunday. Uh, Judd Zolgad, the Sports Grinch, will be uh, back for a team whose temperament and coloring matches his outlook on life. Uh, He and Matthew will be back in the studio. I will call in from Philadelphia after the game, and we will have another edition for you. Breaking down Vikings-Eagles on Sunday afternoon. We will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Enjoy the rest of your week.